Hey, this is Kurt Schilling. 2004 Yankee fans can suck it. Uh, oh, and you 2001 guys, too? Suck that one as well. This is the Mike Sappho podcast, and it is fun. Kurt Schilling, what's going on, bud? Uh, how you doing? Kurt, we got to clear the air here. I got a man up here and apologize for saying some mean and not nice things about you in 2001 and 2004 when you were uh, breaking no, no, my heart. No, 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 If you apologize, I'll lose all respect for you. All right, cool. So then I can say what I meant about you in 2007. Yeah, right? yeah. Yep. <laughs> Because he didn't win either time, so I don't care. <laughs> Before we talk about Kurt Schilling, the voice of the people, what's going on in this crazy world, we got to talk some baseball. Sound good? I would love that. I'd love to. How much baseball are you still watching these days? Uh, almost none. I'll, I'll watch a player. I'll watch a situation. If I flip on a game, it's mainly because of the pitching matchup. But uh, I don't watch a lot anymore. I don't because I, I mean, well, I, I guess it would be like. Um, you know, as a police officer for 22 years, how many police training videos do you watch? <laughs> less, less than zero. <laughs> right, right. No, it's just – and it's not that – I don't know. I, I just – I don't have a vested interest anymore. I mean, obviously, if I was coaching, I would be watching millions of innings and all that. But I just don't. I, I'll watch it sometimes when uh, I'll Facebook Live or, or Periscope and watch a game with fans. Um, I did it during the postseason last year a couple times. Um, but other than that, not much. Is baseball in a good spot right now with the home runs, with all this? Is it in a good, good place right now? Well, I mean, it, it, what's your metric? Uh, revenue or fan-based attendance or, you know, um, it depends on what angle you're looking at. Um, I don't think Tony Clark's doing the Players Association any favors. Um, uh, I, 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 he just came out and said something about a you know, potential work stoppage. We're still two years out. Mm-hmm. No, I, that, that just, that's just dumb. Don't, why? You, you know, you, you, you've got – and I, I think I've said this probably every year for the last 20 years. I'm not sure I've seen a better talented group of young players in my lifetime. I mean, from it's embar- from Acuna to Trout. I mean, my God, uh, every team uh, you got, you know, Correa and what the Astros are doing, who, by the way, traded for the World Series. Um, oh, without a doubt, 100 percent. And, uh, I, I mean, it's just, it's stunning to watch and it's, it's fun to watch. Um, as a pitcher, I'm a little disappointed that, uh, you're watching the game move away from real pitching, uh, and, and, and getting just infatuated with throwing. Everybody throws 95 now. Apparently that's, you know, and, and I, I watched the greatest pitcher in the history of the game throw 88 miles an hour for 20 years and win, you know, 350 games and, and, and walk like four guys a year in Maddox. So, you know, it's pitching. I, I, I'll tell you what. The one that I went back, I actually went back and watched the game. Believe okay. it or not, a replay was Sanchez's first start in Houston because he's a guy. Eighty-eight. Him and Kyle Kendrick, guys like that. I love watching guys who I know have to put a buttload of work into the game before they go out there. You appreciate the craft. That's what you appreciate. It is a craft. It's an art. Mm-hmm. It's done right. It's an art. It's a. It's. There's nothing like it. You know. It's. It's funny because I talked to a bunch of. Uh, and this is fake, by the way, for anybody that's wondering what I'm spitting. Um, <laughs> I talked to a bunch of young pitchers and um, last week, college kids, that, that eight or ten of them probably will be drafted high in the draft next year and stuff. And, and one of the things that I like to talk about pitching is is uh, just the mind. I want to know what, what makes people tick. I thought my career, all the things I ever did were, were, were not – none of it was Kirk Schilling original. It was all – it's a conglomeration of me and, and talking with the greatest players that ever played the game, from Palmer to Koufax to Seaver, Ryan, 
uh, all of them, Padres, Drysdale, uh, uh, you name it, Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz. Um, and I, I, I asked young pitchers, I, when I was younger, I used to ask young pitchers, I need you to do me a favor, write down the, the things that you think about before you throw a pitch. And to a man, young pitchers would write like four or five things, like, you know, what's the count, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then I'd show my list, and my list was 67 items. And, Come on. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, for example, uh, I'm facing Derek Jeter in the third at bat. You know, what's the score? Where are the runners? What have I done the first two at bats? What counts do I want? What are my counts I'm shooting for in this at bat? Where, <clears throat> excuse me, if I have to go fastball and a fastball count, where can I go with him? Where, what stadium am I playing in? Because it, it's very different pitching to him in Yankee Stadium than any place else. Um, you know, what have I done to him this year? Who's on deck? Uh, what did I just do to the hitter before him? What's the umpire doing for me? Is he calling the inside part of the plate tonight or is he not? Am I getting the outside part of the plate or am I not? I mean, the amount of data that you process if you're good at the craft would, would just blow people away. So now you say you don't watch a lot of baseball now, but if you know it's uh, – forget about playoffs. Kershaw is facing Verlander tomorrow night. You're, you're tuning into that. I'll watch um, I'll watch Justin pitch almost any time. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I love Clayton too, uh, but there's – I can't relate to him because number one, he's lefty and everything is different for a left-hander. And number two, you know, physically, I feel like he's just been, he's been screwed the last couple of years. His injuries have been a huge problem. Um, I, I, I want to see, I think he's still going to be a hall of famer, but mm-hmm. man, I love the guy. Um, but I don't follow pitchers that I can't get in their heads and I can't get in his head. Well, first of all, you can't get in any left-handers head cause they're all freaks. And, and <laughs> um, but he's just, on such a different level and you know a guy that that works off of uh, a breaking you know a, a wipeout curveball is is a guy who pitches differently than i ever did i spoke to a buddy of mine and we were talking about baseball today and i'm the biggest baseball fan and he compared it to wrestling and hear me out the old school wrestlers 20 30 years ago you'd have 10 different wrestlers maybe one jack dude and everyone else had a little gimmick now every every wrestler is this jacked up steroid six-pack Huge muscles, and that's pitcher. Every pitcher's throwing 100, 101, just going out there to strike everyone out. Batters just want to hit home runs. It seems it's lost its um, its intimacy a little bit. Like it's everything's just strikeout or nothing. Well, but but money drives the 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 engine. I mean, you know, this is baseball is is about uh, people love offense. Only only a fan like you or or somebody that really is a hardcore, um, you know, baseball purist loves to see. Eight innings, two hits, fourteen punch outs in a one nothing game. That, I mean, I don't know if you saw the game the other night, but I, I went back and watched the ninth inning of the Yankee Blue Jay game five times just to watch Chapman face Guerrero. I mean, it, was, it was just it was perfect. I mean, it was just perfect that he you know, he's facing second generation guys. And if that at bat that Guerrero put on didn't make you understand he's going to be exactly like his dad, if not better, nothing will. Um I love Bichette and Biggio as well. I think that they're and, – and, and I like the fact that those kids are going to play the game right for the most part. They were taught by guys that did it. Um, but uh, look at the home runs, and you look at the, the, uh, uh, the influx of sabermetrics. Um, very few teams are finding that happy medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no way to drive a team through sabermetrics alone. It doesn't work that way, and, and that's why Theo's always been good because he understood that. I think the thing that – that Theo Epstein benefited from more than anything was in 04. He realized that clubhouse chemistry was actually a thing and there was no data for it. 
So when you went to Chicago, if you if you remember, I'm curious to know if other people know this. If you if you remember Theo's first couple years in Chicago, what was the one player he went harder after than anybody? Went harder. I know he wouldn't trade Kyle Schwarber. Who are you talking right. about? Which who who he didn't go harder? He, he went out and got a, a free agent, a veteran free agent, and and he wanted this one guy, and he got him. Was it Andrew Miller? David Ross, clubhouse guy. Right, at one of the best because. If you can't sabermetric guys despise anything they can't put a value to mm-hmm. because it doesn't you know in the in the world of mathematics that doesn't compute it they can't when you when there's an X factor it screws up their formulas all the time because you know they'll do their win you know one of the things that they'll do uh, is a run differential projection which I I'm all in for I think that's one of the best stats in the world to to figure out uh, a team. Um, but when they figure out run differential, what the, you know, they do all these stats and they figure out here's what we're going to score, here's what we're going to give up, here's what our run differential is going to be, here's what our projected record is going to be. The clubhouse guy screws that up, or the absence of one. Uh-huh. Screws um, I think what you're seeing now in the game is uh, you're starting to see teams hire managers as their clubhouse guys. For example, Aaron Boone. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a phenomenal, phenomenal human being he is, number one. But when your manager is potentially a clubhouse guy, kind of like Tito in a sense, um, they know when to stand up and make everybody laugh and make fun of themselves. Um, because uh, so in, in 04, our guy, for me, it was Doug Mirabelli. When you land in Toronto at 2 in the morning and you're going through customs and you have to deal with Canadian people and French people that hate American people and you've just been swept and everybody's dragging ass, Doug Mirabelli was the guy on the back of the bus that would say something and make everybody laugh at 3 in the morning. You had to have those guys, and and you had to have you know we we had those when you're when you're looking for a team and wondering why. Well, a great example. Look at the Red Sox this year; they don't have the clubhouse guy, and that's why they're so up and down. You never know what it, you're going to get every game. Why, it's why you have the the elongated down down swings mm-hmm. because I was always a guy. I would say. If we were in a streak, I would. I, I can remember ten times in my career as I as I'm done warming up, walking out of the bullpen and looking at my livers and going, "Hey guys, take the night off." <laughs> and you just and, knew it. I, I well, I knew it, and I knew it, it had to be. And I could. I felt like I could will things in in some ways. And and eight out of ten times, I didn't see my relievers until we were in the locker room after the game, and they were like, "Dude, how did you do?" It's like you know. And but for me, I like that pressure. A lot of guys don't. Um, and so, but you, the one thing to remember, uh, and I know this is totally off tangent uh, to the question we were talking about the state of the game, but but when you talk about clubhouse guys, the one thing you have to remember, if you go back and look at 04, Doug Mirabelli wasn't the offensive star. He wasn't even the defensive star. He was mm-hmm. a backup catcher. Um, a leader is statistically agnostic. His numbers don't matter. Darren Dalton was the best clubhouse presence I ever played with in my life, bar none. And it didn't matter what his numbers were that day. If he had to say something, he said it. And, and everyone that, listened to him. And and nowadays, what we you know, a lot of modern day athletes they only talk trash when they're four for four or hitting three eighty or hitting that monster home run doing the bat flip. Yep. That's all they care about. Yep. And and that that's not a leader. A leader will say anything. Danny, I'll I'll give you a quick story. In '04, uh, you remember we made the trades in the middle of the year. We traded Nomar and we got Orlando Cabrera. Of course. Um, we had a certain superstar on that team who uh, who was known every now and then to take some days off. And uh, about a week after Orlando was on the team, I was in the back uh, room in the hot tub, and this guy was sitting there. 
And Orlando came back and looked at uh, this guy and said, what's up, man? He's like, hey, Poppy, what's up? He goes, don't Poppy me. What's going on? He's like, what? He said, can I drop F-bombs here? Yeah, of course. You can do whatever you oh, want. Yeah. You're Kurt Schilling. He's like, he's like, you know, why the fuck aren't you in the lineup? He's like, oh, man, I'm tired. He goes, fuck that. He goes, no, 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 my legs. He goes, fuck your legs. He goes, I'm going to walk out of this room, and I'm going to come back in 30 minutes. And if your fucking name's not in that lineup card, you and I are going to go. Wow. So he instantly came and changed the whole dynamic of that team. And it was like, wow. And that was Orlando. And, and, and that's a leader. And, and it don't, I don't care what your station is on the team. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's all for one, one for all. I, I mean, I almost got into three or four fights with Manny. I mean, just because I didn't, I, I didn't play the game. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think Manny Manny obviously I, I love him to death. Yeah, uh, I've always loved him. Um, but when you see somebody whose personal approach to the game can adversely affect a teammate or the team, I, I I was always somebody who would have no problem with a conversation with that person. And if it involved a fight, that's fine. It happens. I mean, listen, man, if we have a fight, we have a fight. Dude, you you you. There's only a couple places in the world like a clubhouse, a police barracks, <laughs> a firehouse, and a military barracks. In those rooms, you're fucking accountable, dude. And, and, and because here's the thing. At 7.05, I don't care how much shit you talk. When the game starts, you got to put up. So there's no fake good guys. Same thing in those lines of work, right? Mm-hmm. You're, but you're dealing with life and death. Hey, I, you know, I don't mind being a douche at the station. But that shit's going to stop the second we sit, get down in the car and we take off and we go, I mean, no effing around. Mm-hmm. In, in the sense, that's, that's, that's what leaders are. And that's what te- how teams are built. I have to – first of all, I love that you went on that tangent because that was way better than the questions I asked. But I got to ask you the two times, the 0-1 game, Alfonso Soriano hit one of the least memorable home runs ever. It's a forgotten home run. and Kurt, No, I, it oh, ain't. Not to me. That's one on the top five on my fucking list. But I got to – Thanks for bringing it up, by the way. But I got to explain to you. I always oh. compare it to the Sean Woods. He's the guy who hit the shot for Kentucky before Leitner. He yep. hits that home run. I, I was going to go out there and buy a Soriano jersey. Yankees take the two to one yep. lead. You give up that home run, game seven. Truthfully, you see Mo getting up, no, winding his arms. No, no, what are you thinking? All right. So first off, let's go back to the fucking pitch. All right. Okay. I, I had gotten him all night long, and I had him in a situation where I I had the pitch I wanted to throw in the count I wanted to throw it, and mm-hmm. I threw it. And right up until he swung, it was a fucking great pitch. He takes that Fred Flintstone thing he calls a bat, <laughs> and, and he swung a huge bat. And it wasn't that he hit a home run. It was that he had a fucking bomb. It wasn't like a – it was a bomb. I knew as soon as he hit it, it was a gone. And it was the only time – I tell people this. It was one of the only times in my career I ever remember turning to my left instead of my right. And as I'm turning to my left, I, I don't know why, but I see fucking Mo standing up in the bullpen starting to take his jacket off. And I'm like, motherfucker, I just lost the World Series. I mean, it's over. And And – uh, you know, I, I end up going another here too, and then I come out of the game and I'm, I'm devastated because there's no, I mean, we're done. He punches mm-hmm. outside in the bottom of the eighth and, and it's over. And then you had the most amazing inning and one of the most amazing innings in World Series history. 2004, your famous game. I know what happened. We were up three nothing. We know yada, yada, yada. <clears throat> when did you truly know? And I know people say, Oh, I knew after game four. You come out there, and let me say this. I joked around and said I said mean stuff about you. Of course I did. I was cursing and screaming. How is this man? This man isn't human. My mom's saying, is he bleeding? I'm like, Mom, just relax. He's going he's gonna to blow it. The perseverance, the inspirational. That was a true warrior out there that day. When did you really know that you guys had a chance to come back and win that series? After we won game six. 
So your game, after that game, you knew it was yours. It was over. We knew it was over. I mean, we were nervous, yes. I mean, shit, we, what were we at, like 10-2 to 2 <laughs> at one point? And, and Pedro gave up a run, and, and I'm looking around like, oh, my God, like it was fucking one nothing. <laughs> because I've been in Yankee Stadium before. I've seen the shit. Like, I know how it works here. Uh, Mystique and Aura, uh, while I do think they're dancers in a nightclub, they, the Yankees got them to show up every now and then. And, uh, but we, I think we knew after game four. And then, you know, <laughs> uh, we get a guy thrown out in the first thing and David turns around and, and drives one into the seats. And, you know, and it was Kevin Brown who's a dick. So yeah. it was <laughs> awesome. It was awesome to just beat his head in. But, uh, nah, it was, it was, it was a series. And, and after game five, all the pressure was on them. Everything. Everything. Because all of the conversation was around, oh, my God, if they win. And, I mean, when you go back and look at that Red Sox team and look at that offense, and, I mean, those two teams were a joke. The, 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 the numbers that they were throwing out there. On it. That's why we hated playing Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN against the Yankees because it was a five-hour game. didn't matter what the score was because every team was going to see 400 effing pitches, and, and it was going to take forever even if the game was 2 nothing. Those games on the schedule, we like, oh, this is great. And then the game starts and like, it's 8-17. We're in the second inning. I think you got to be kidding me. And it's nothing to nothing. <laughs> Both starters have 74 pitches, <laughs> no walks. Four relief pitches. Yeah, I would say the games went on forever. Yep. Was it a little bit anticlimactic winning that World Series after coming off the 0-4 comeback? Well, anywhere but Boston, I would say yes. Mm-hmm. But the, I, And I say this with all due respect to the Cardinals. We knew – so I'm, I was sitting in – uh, Tech and I were sitting in the pre-World Series scouting meeting where you go over, all the coaches go over all the players and blah, 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 where they put their books together to give to everybody. And I always sat in on those meetings. And I, I my hand to God, the conversation, and we, it wasn't disrespectful and it wasn't uh, shit talking. The conversation wasn't whether we could win the World Series. Uh, honest to God, we we were wondering how they were going to beat us in one game. Unbelievable. Now, was it just confidence or you knew you were no, better? No, they had no swing and miss pitchers. Mm-hmm. They had nobody that could make our hitter swing and miss. And our, if you can't strike out guys in the postseason, you don't win. And in that lineup that we were, and you got to remember, they were, that was a stacked team. Larry Walker, Scott Rowland, Albert mm-hmm. Pujols, you know, Reggie Sanders. I mean, they were stacked, but we knew our pitching could pitch. And, and I mean, Wakefield was the only, only curiosity or question because a knuckleball in the postseason is a tough thing. It, it just, it, because the postseason, I always told young pitchers getting ready for postseason when they would ask what it's like. I said, it's like every inning is the bottom of the ninth You're as a starter, and you're facing the, the hitters got the winning run on third base. Every at bat is that, is that way. Hitters change their focus. But we didn't, we were wondering if they were going to be able to beat us one game because they, there was no, the only guy in that staff that could make guys swing and miss was Dan Heron. And if you look at the numbers in that, we, we chewed their starting pitching up. Oh, I know. I watched that game every game, well, but not in my it, stomach. It was easily predictable. And it was it, because, again, our offense, we had games where we went into the fifth inning during the season and we had not scored a run and the starting pitcher had 122 pitches. Well, well that, that, was the, that was the old formula. The reason the Yankees and Red Sox dominated back then, yep. you, the whole goal was like get Pedro out of the game, get yep. Schilling out of the game. Yep. Not, and, and that was it. That's how every game was. And it was. Which is why the Yankees and us were so good, because if you got me out of the game after seven, you had to go through our bullpen, which was back-ended by Folk, mm-hmm. who uh, to me is still the World Series MVP um, and the postseason MVP of that team, followed closely by Derek Lowe. 
my favorite Kurt Schilling stat. Three World Series wings, 216 wins, 3,000 strikeouts. How many saves do you have in your career? Because I didn't know this until around 10 minutes ago. I believe 22. You have 22 saves. I never knew that. Yeah, I, so in 91, when I got dealt from Baltimore Houston, they literally asked me what I wanted to do. Do you want to start or do you want to be our closer? And I was like, fuck, man, closer's way more sexy. You, you play uh, more? It, it didn't work out well because I, 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 I had a hard time letting go of a loss. And I don't care when it, it, it – I learned then in that year, I did every job you could do in the bullpen. I mopped up. I set up. I closed after I struggled closing. You cannot and will not – be a World Series champion with a bullpen by committee. And I know that sabermetricians hate it, but the fact of the matter is this. When the phone rings in the bullpen, you've got seven human beings down there. The bullpen that succeeds is the one that knows when the phone rings, they know who the phone is for. And again, I, I get it. You want to mix up your guys and all that stuff, and you have to have a, a, the rare exception. But now, with everybody throwing so hard, they just assume anybody can get the strikeouts in the ninth, and we'll just make it happen this way. Didn't work in 03 for the Red Sox, and it's not working for him this year either. When did Kurt Schilling become a political guy? I'm, I'm looking at you now, the Make American Great Again hat. Um, I don't remember, and maybe this is a social media thing. I actually don't know the answer. I don't remember in the 2000s or, nope. that, oh, it's Kurt Schilling, Republican, Kurt Schilling, this. Nope. Were, you, were you ever political like that? Well, the first time I ever became political was the end of uh, Boston's love for me. So, um I was I was the uh, I'm going to Disney guy. Pedro and I and, and Ortiz were we're going to Disney guys in 04. Okay. So the day after you win, when we got back to Boston, that Disney flies you down on a private jet. Blah blah blah. Well, I'm at I'm at uh, Fenway, and I'm doing a, I'm on Good Morning America, and Charles Gibson's interviewing me, and it was the election, and I said, Hey, Charles, at the end of the interview, I said, Make sure you tell everybody to go out and vote. He's like, We will, and I said, Vote Bush, <laughs> and like. He's looking at the screen like his mother had just been shot, like dead silence for like 10 seconds. And he's like, uh, okay. All right, guys. Thank you. And it blew up. It cost my charity millions of dollars, um, death threats. Um, you name it, it happened to my family and it's never, never, but, but I also learned and that's when, so that's when I really got into the politics because then, <laughs> I'm literally uh, in the car with my wife and my kids on the way to, to uh, the airport to go to Disney, and I'm doing a phone interview with ESPN, and my wife's handing me, like, punching me on the side going, hey, phone call, phone call. She's got my phone. I'm like, just take a message. It's the president. It's like, bullshit. It's the president. Take a She's like, it's President Bush. So he had heard it. He calls me. He's like, hey, Kurt, listen. And we were friends with, with his father and the Bush family, and we've always been. And um, he asked me to come campaign with him in Pennsylvania and Ohio. Uh, and I did. Um, really? Yeah. And the Red Sox ownership hated my guts for it. Um, and never, ever. And they, they tried to get me back for it a couple different times. Um, but you know, that was that. And then, you know, it was out there. And I, I, I sure as shit wasn't going to back away from it. It's who I, I, that's who I vote for. But, like, if who I vote for makes you hate me as a player of a team I play on, then you've got other issues. Um, so that. But then, you know what I learned? In 2011, I'm a huge hockey fan. All right. Hockey is my life. And I love it. I have a young son who's a goaltender and, uh, you know, he wants to be a Bruin someday. And he's he's very, very good. And um, I'm watching the Bruins in 2011. And I don't know how much hockey you watch, but in 2011, Tim Thomas puts the Bruins on his back and pretty much carries them to a cup. I mean, it was the great one of the greatest performances in the history of Stanley Cup finals. He wins the Smythe. He's um, he won the Vesna that year. Just unbelievable. 
And after the world's after the Stanley Cup, he uh, he came out and said, "I'm I'm not going to go to the White House." They literally turned him into Voldemort, like he who should not. They never mentioned his name again. And so I realized at that point, you know what? That's not a, that's not a winnable game. So I'm not worried about playing it. And the people that don't like me because of my conservative values, I don't like them anyway. So you know, so what? Um, but but I, I was taught and, and grew up. Uh, believe it or not, my father was a very quiet man, um, a man of few words. But I was always taught to stand by who I was. And and if you know, I've never said a racist thing in my life. I've never done anything racist in my life. I have a son that's bisexual. I don't care if you're on the LGBTQ. I played with gay players. I know I did. And I and and if you could turn a double play or hit with runners in scoring position, that's all I gave a shit about. I don't care who you sleep with. Um, as long as it's not my wife. Um, Kurt, are you yeah. sure you're not racist? Because I read the newspaper, I read the yeah. internet, and the internet says you're a bigot, you're, you're racist. You know what? The, the media, and, and I don't mean you, but in blogs like this, everybody's a reporter now. Everybody yeah. has a microphone, everybody mm-hmm. has a camera. Um, if you think about, and I'm not looking for pity, I'm just trying to state a fact. The media has marginalized me to the point where people can just, like they do with Trump, oh, he's a racist. I've never said anything racist in my life. There's no fat. No, you can't back that comment up with any act or comment or teammate or anything ever. But that's how powerful the media is. And you don't even need to back it up now, Kurt. If you say it, oh, it's it's law. If someone says it, it that's it. it. If it goes viral on a tweet, that's it. Yep. And that is well, you saw it with Justice Kavanaugh. It's a, yeah. it's a we're in a dangerous place. And, and Kurt, that's uh, scary because you can get a person with let's just use Twitter eight followers who says Kurt Schillen said this, and if a big time guy retweets it, it goes viral. All of a sudden, it's like. Now it's fact. That's set in stone. It has nothing to do with actual real world truth. Nothing. Um, because if you can if you can take a man like Justice Kavanaugh, who's achieved his whole life for a lie, and that to me is is and, and to this day we got three Democratic candidates who are saying Michael Brown was murdered. No, he wasn't. He was a thug. He was a felon. I don't care what color he was or where he came from. He was assaulting a police officer. When, you know what? When you assault a police officer, you get shot. That's the way it happens. It's supposed to happen that way. Kurt Schilling does his little Periscope show, which I love. What else are you up to now? I know you do that a lot. The Periscope show, you sit there, right. you, read, you read all the comments, you go at yep. it, and you're so honest. You don't fight with people. You say what's on your mind. What else are you doing lately? So I do Facebook Live a little bit. I actually just uh, joined up with the Young Americans Foundation, uh, Candace Owens, Charlie Kirk, uh, all those people. I'm going – I actually have a gig next month to speak at a college campus, which I can't wait. I'm so excited because <laughs> we we are – we are now in a battle for information, period. When you look at what we know, well, listen, go go Google the word patriot. It, patriot is now defined as white supremacy, a white supremacist. Like, what? How did we get here? The stuff that's happening now is surreal. Like, it's you, you every day something happens and you just say, well, you can't make this up. Like, I don't need to run. I, we don't, Trump doesn't need to run any, spend $1 on ads next campaign. Just let these idiots talk. Every time they open their mouth, conservative is born. And, and you know, they're, they're not liberals. They're democratic socialists. And, and the only reason they want socialism is because none of them understand what it is. And the, and, and the media is pushing the narrative. I mean, people like you and podcasts like this are going to continue to grow because there's no doubt in my mind, and I'm one of them, everybody's lost trust in the media. Uh, and they did it to themselves. They hung themselves. And, and you know. And if you hear a dog barking in the back, that's my Rottweiler. And if he sounds like he's eating something, that's my French bulldog. So. <laughs> you know, two things on that. One, you mentioned Trump 2020. 
do you because you, you're in the know? Is there any political candidate right now on the Democratic side that you think can even put up a, a any kind of fight with Trump? None. None at all. I got to tell you, my only fear, and I say this in all honesty, and I'm not joking around. My honest, my only fear is that they kill him. That's the only way he can't win in 2020. I, I honestly believe it. And and given what, uh, well, I mean, listen, if every conspiracy theorist on the planet that's a, that's on the left doesn't wake up the day after Jeffrey Epstein is murdered and say, okay, wait a minute, then you know what? I don't know what to tell you because I, listen, Jeffrey Epstein was the 57th person associated that worked for, that knew, uh, that donated or that was involved in the Clinton circle. 57. Now listen, three, nah, you know, it's a coincidence. Four, eh, I got to wonder a little bit now. Five, okay, what's going on? 57? If Justice Kavanaugh can be destroyed without one scintilla of evidence and a billionaire can be jailed and murdered by someone who he has, you know, the goods on, who are we? Like, doesn't the common guy and gal sit there and go, wait a minute, like, if I ever, like, do so, I'm done. I have no chance. But 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 look at the internet. It's all memes and jokes. Oh, and that's funny it. I know. Pop-ups. I know. And, and and the left and the media has managed to marginalize that. Let me. Are you still working for Breitbart or no? No. Better work environment. Breitbart or ESPN? Oh, oh fuck. Breitbart. Is awesome. <laughs> and, and, uh, listen, I I I. There's a couple guys that I worked with ESPN. There's a handful of people. I love them. They were awesome. Ravitch and all of my producers and the, and the behind the scenes guys, which was you know. They were the greatest, but it was, it was, um, well, I, I, don't, I don't know that this is a good thing, but I think I, I, I'm, I'm, I started this whole explosion at ESPN. They fired me because I said that people with penises should pee in the men's room and people with vaginas should pee in the women's room. And apparently that was so offensive. I got fired for it, you know? And the other one was I had the gall to compare ISIS to Nazis. Which, by the way, if you're offended by that, I'm trying to figure out which group you're offended. Are you offended that I uh, t- that I talked ISIS down or the Nazis? Because I was made out to be a racist for that comment. You know, I, I don't know. I, I just we're in a really bad place right now. And I was thinking about this tonight, Mike. I, I'm, as I'm coming home, uh, I'm listening to this stuff, and I'm I'm starting to wonder if people aren't gaming this out in their heads because I have, and I don't. Inv- and I'm not a I'm a Christian, so I, I, I'm okay. I already know how the bottom of the ninth plays out, right? I, I've read my Bible. I know how it's going to end. I know what's mm-hmm. going to happen, and I'm good. So, but, but I also, at the same time, wonder if this world, you know, we're, we're coming up with the most important election of our lifetimes, which will Ever. then be followed by the most important of our life. Because after Trump in 2024, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Not, and, and do you have, or can you tell me anybody anywhere on the left that is looking to de-escalate what's going on? And, and, you know, Kurt, that's what I actually want to ask you. I've never seen a divide in the country as it is now. You're a little older than me. I've never yeah. seen it this far apart. There's and no middle you, ground anymore. No, there's uh, not. And the, the biggest cause of that is the media. And that's just the bottom line. The, the rhetoric of us versus them, right yeah. versus left, white versus black, it's caused the divide that I don't know how it can be repaired ever. And that's scary well, and it's it's disheartening. One more serious thing I want to talk to you about, because you're a huge supporter of the NRA. Yes. You're, you, well, I, don't, I don't know if you tweeted it. Or you, what? I am the NRA. Well, you, you're right. 
perfect. You don't just support. But I, I, let me just say this. I think you're the one who pointed it out in one of your tweets when someone wrote to you like, none of the mass shooters recently were members of the NRA. Their family wasn't members of the NRA. Why is it, Kurt? And I'm not saying I'm pro or anti because I have to be fair because of my right. job. Why is it that when any violence happens, it's immediately go after the NRA when there's not really evidence of that? that's their straw man. That's their straw man. The only, the only NRA affiliation you've ever had with a mass shooting was the, the NRA member in Dallas who shot and killed the shooter that shot those people in the church. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Second thing, the NRA, the six-plus million members of the NRA commit fewer crimes than law enforcement officers commit on a national scale. That doesn't make me happy, but that's just a fact. The NRA, and here's the thing, you're an officer, you know this. The NRA is comprised of the most law-abiding citizens in your in your district. Because if they have any convictions, they're not getting, exactly. Right, and, and, and the fact of the matter is that if you look at what the, the, the like I said, I am the NRA. Like, like I, the NRA doesn't, Although it's, it seems to me that the NRA is now going to be dying a slow death because there's an internal struggle going up top and blah, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is um, no NRA member has ever been a mass shooter, ever. And But, again, they, they have their boogeymen. And as soon as they can call those people out, you know, they do. They, 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 they're mad about uh, the NRA's money influence in D.C., yet they don't care that Jeffrey Epstein – is trafficking 14-year-old girls and donating to every Democrat alive. Not to mention, I got to tell you, I want to see the list because when I, I think that's one of the things. Well, listen, it doesn't have to be the Clintons that killed him because apparently his list was full of everybody that's anybody. Everybody. That's what the rumor is. Everybody. Tell you, so, so I don't understand. How old are you? Uh, 36. Okay. So I'm 52. We're 16 years apart. I don't know when pedophilia became a thing in the sense that, like, if you talk to anybody in Hollywood, everybody talks about the fact that it's known. Every kid that's ever been anything in Hollywood has gone through pedophilia and, and child molestation. And that, that, like, my dad always told me that, 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 you know, he would never go to jail except for his family. Mm-hmm. Heard killing someone that touched yes exactly that was my dad my grandfather my father always said the same thing yep. Yep. if someone ever hurts you your mom or anybody then I'll, then I'll go to jail for you guys right and I'll do it gladly mm-hmm. and, and you know I, I I don't understand you know think about this though these people are poo-pooing the Clinton affiliation with Jeffrey Epstein yet they're still pissed about what President Trump said on the back of a bus 10 years before he even ran for office and by the way that's a joke Right. That would, if you listen to that tape, you know, you know exactly like I know what that. I've known President Trump since 2006. Okay. He's a good man. We're going to go on the same thing. If, Kurt, let me, if, I, if I'm going to steal your sentence, it was like the 40 year old virgin, a guy who doesn't really hook up or anything, trying to tell a story. A guy that's never had a group of guy friends. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Trying as hard as he can to be one of the guys, <laughs> talking in a way that all that those laughter that laughter on the bus that was all uncomfortable yeah because they were all like oh my god this guy's an idiot I'm like are you sitting me and I, I you know i don't want to but but that was a guy talking like someone who had never done any of the things he was talking about like and he was trying to be cool yeah he was, he was trying to be the cool guy oh i do this but girls right, right and and all the guys in the bus are thinking wow you, you probably just need to shut up right now because yeah, but they'll give him the uh polite chuckle like oh this yeah, guy's oh it's- don't don't try so hard yeah like, dude, you're, you're already in. You're Donald Trump. You don't have to, like, impress us. 
And and I, because I, I mean, how many guys have you been around? I'm sure officers do it a lot. Oh, like, a, a gazillion. And you can always yep. tell, Curry. I'll tell you this: you can tell when the one new guy comes in and starts telling stories. You always give the look like, yeah, okay. you tell the truth. Right. Hey, I, I've kept you for 42 minutes. A couple more minutes. Uh, the president of the United States personally tweeted that he believes you should be in the Hall of Fame. Any person with a baseball IQ over five thinks you're going to be in the Hall of Fame. You got to make me a promise, though. When the day comes. Don't make any jabs at the Yankees. And if you go in next year, don't yes. read Cheetah's unanimous uh, vote thing, all right? It's perfect. It's perfect. This is the first time, like I've ever thought, last year I got, I think, 64%. Uh-huh. I think this is the first time I've ever realistically thought about, like, it might happen next year. And I got to tell you, if there's one guy in my career that I would have wanted to go in with, it would be him. You know why? Because there's going to be 50,000 people from New York in the stands. And... And then seeing I, you come up, you're going to break hearts. I can, I can just say, I, you know, I, I, I'm going to go back to my quote, guys. I cannot think of anything more enjoyable than making 55,000 people from New York shut up. No, no, but it's, 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 yeah. This is the, I, I would, I would. Uh, uh, this is the first time I ever thought about. And you know, he's, a, he's a lock. I mean, Derek might be another, uh, the second 100% guy ever. Um, but uh, it, you know, it, it, like I said before. I have zero control over it, and I know a lot of the people that do the voting don't like me because of my political views. So if it doesn't ever happen, I'm good, man. I'm not going to lose any sleep. I got my rings. I got my trophies. I got my memories. And, I, and I, I, you know, in 1992, my wife and I were talking, and I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. We were talking about – I just had my first good year in the big leagues, and, and we were talking one night about goals. And I said, you know, honestly, I can tell you there's two things I want to do. I want to retire. And when I retire, I want everyone that ever suited up with me to say, if I had a life or death game, win or lose one game, I would want this guy to have the ball. And the other thing was I wanted to win the Roberto Clemente Award um, because, first of all, he was my dad's favorite player. He was the only – I, I, well, actually, I'll, I'll make the long story longer here in a second. But the Clemente Award was about who I was as a person, and and that to me was more – uh, reflective of my father and the people that I was around in my life. And that was the highest honor and one of my most cherished memories of all time. Last story. I went, I've been to one game in my life, one game in my life as a paid fan, one major league game in my life. And it was the final game of the 1972 season. When I was six years old, my dad took me to see the Mets and the pirates and Roberto Clemente got his 3000th hit that day. And really? I, yes, he died in a plane crash two weeks later. And it was the first time I ever saw my dad cry. And so he's always meant a lot to me. I grew up a pirate fan too. So right, and if we just say this to all the Yankee fans that listen to this show. Since I retired, and I'm I'm this is no lie, Yankee fans have been by far the largest group of people who have reached out to me and said, I thought you were an asshole when you played. I hated your guts, but I love you now. It has been a massive, massive group of people, and I'm so appreciative. First of all, they were the funnest fans in the world to play in front of. Because shit I heard them say about my mom, I've never heard anybody say. Uh, but I loved it. I loved pitching in that stadium. I loved pitching in front of those people. And uh, every great memory I have is based around fans. And they were some of the best. Kirk, I keep you for one more minute. We'll go five quick questions. You ready? Yep. Yep. You and I hanging out in a bar. Who's the coolest person in your phone that if you texted them, they would text you back? Uh, George Bush, Toby Keith. Garth Brooks, maybe. All right, those are good answers. Best baseball movie of all time? Bull Durham. Coolest piece of memorabilia you've kept throughout the years? Sports or baseball? And any memorabilia you kept? Oh, any memorabilia. I have General Bernard Montgomery's beret from the Second World War. What book is Kurt Schilling reading right now? Uh, I am reading 
uh, the the road to Stalingrad and actually um, uh, Truman. Oh, the Truman biography, which is considered one of the best books of all time. Yeah. yeah. Name one player, or it could be a few, but one player that you were in awe of when you met them. You were a little nervous before you took a picture with them on a Rex Van autograph. Uh, I didn't do either. I was too scared. Willie Stargell. And you, a I, Pirates I, guy. I just, I just pitched against the Pirates in Pittsburgh. I was going back to the team hotel. I turned, walked in the elevator. I looked right, and he was standing there. And I was like, uh, uh, "You froze." I froze. I was. I loved that man, and and he was everything I thought he would be. Because he's like, "Hey, uh, you know, not real happy about what I just saw up there." Because I just don't a complete game against the Pirates and beat him. And I was like, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I'm oh, sorry, Mister Stargell. You know, like it was the, it was so cool. Dumbest purchase you ever made with any of your contracts. You got your contracts. What'd you get? Lamborghini. <laughs> and I know you're doing Cameo right now. You're doing stuff. Have you done any fun yes. stuff on Cameo? Oh tell, everybody, and tell everyone, Kurt, how to get in touch with you on Cameo right. and all your social media. So so I'm on I'm at Garrick38 on Twitter. Um, uh, my Facebook is public. I'm on, I'm on, uh, uh, Facebook is Kurt Schilling and the picture you'll see, you'll know it's a picture of me playing baseball. So here's the cameo app. I'm doing cameo now. And this is so fun. I actually just had a police officer and have me announce the first round draft order for their police fantasy football league. And I was talking shit through the whole thing. Um, some dude just graduated with a law degree. He's got, he's a hardcore liberal. He, his Republican friend had me call and congratulate him with my Trump hat on. Um, uh, I've done a wedding proposal. I've done uh, – I announced a roster move in baseball uh, for, a, for a group of firefighters. I, it, it is so fun. And it, a couple people have done what I thought, which is it's like for the person that has everything, it's like the coolest gift ever if, if you can find somebody that they like. Um, I've had Red Sox fans – do it for Yankee fans. Like, hey, I want you to tell this Yankee fan happy birthday. So I'd do it with, like, all my rings on, and I'd be like this. I'm like, yeah, I won this one against the Yankees, and I won this one. So, yeah, no, it's a blast. And it's uh, the, the um, Cameo. Just go to Cameo.com, the, the, the service. It's And it's funny because you really get a feel for how narcissistic celebrities are because, like, I want to do them. Because they're fun. So I only charge 75 bucks for the message. Which is very cheap for a guy like you, really. Well, but, but, I, but again, I'm giving you a 30, 40 second message. So there's people that are charging like three and $4,000 for a video <laughs> message. I'm like, all right, short of Jesus, like I don't know of anybody that I would give a crap enough about to have them talk to me, you know? So, yeah, no, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And and uh, it, like I said, it's one of those gifts that you can give to somebody who has everything because it's very unique. And I'm I'm fun. I have a lot of fun with it because I'll talk as much shit as you want and I'll add some of mine. So, Kurt, here's the last thing. Uh, when I was a little boy, I always uh, – everything in my life is Yankee. If you can look right now, Kurt, I'm actually sitting in Yankee seats right Dude, now. You said the word axe 14 yeah. times. I know you're a Yankee fan. <laughs> I have – by the way, I have four seats from the vet. Like oh, that. do you really? I have the four seats. So when I pitched in the big leagues, my dad died about eight months before I went to, to the big leagues for the first time. I left a ticket for my father for every start I ever made in my career. And – I got the four seats out of the vet that my were my dad's and my family's, and they're in my backyard. All right, that super. That, those are bad. Though. No, those are bad. Yeah. So uh, every person who's ever been on my show, I've had like the head of NASA on basketball, every possible person you can have. Okay. See what the hell is NASA? NASA. <laughs> right. An I mean, astronaut. He was from NASA. Right. No, but there's no R in NASA. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's funny. So everyone who comes on, I get something. You know, I send them something to sign for me. And my partner is a, a Marine from Boston. Oh. He's like, what are you going to get from Curry? I'm like, what? He's like, you got to get something. I'm like, do you think I can get it? He goes, you have to buy – you have to have him sign something from you from Boston. And I go, I can never hang it up. He goes, bro, it's Kurt Schilling. So he's the biggest Boston guy. He's like, so I'm going to send you up something. All right. Afterwards, we'll email and we'll, we'll Absolutely. sign it. And I'll prominently display something from Boston in my house for the first time. Absolutely. Ever. Hey, make sure you send me one of your hats too, one of your from your your department. Yes. Kurt, just uh, don't send me don't send me anything on your that's on your fucking head right now. I, no. I, it, <laughs> Kurt, a blast. I'm gonna email you now. You are the greatest. Thank you, my friend. Take care, buddy. You take care of yourself. I will. Stay sir. Safe. Thank you. All Thank right, you, brother. Bye.